Good morning. Well, what a great morning we've had already. Uh, fantastic time of worship. I could have stayed in that last song forever. Always great to have communion and just celebrate and remind ourselves what the Lord has done for us. That's why we're here, guys, and that's why our life is what it is, and that's why our eternity is what it is. Isn't that quite amazing? And uh, Jared, that's uh, better than anything I've seen on the six o'clock news for a long time. So, very good. I want to talk about the uh, influence of the church. Jesse's been uh, done a couple of sessions on us being a people of influence, and I'm following that along. I want to particularly look at the church this morning, um, but it applies to us as individuals as well as collectively God's people. But in John 20, 21, there's a verse that just says this. It is so powerful as only Jesus can be in one lines and one sentences. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And I want to look a little deeper at this, mainly using some of the passages that the Apostle Paul has written about this. But Paul saw himself throughout his whole life. Paul saw himself, saw himself as acting on Christ's behalf and uh, representing what Jesus stands for in every situation. And as Christ's ambassadors, which Aaron spoke about a few weeks back, uh, we're called to present Christ both in everything that uh, we do. We're called to present Christ in the kingdom of God, uh, which is our true place of origin and our calling in this world. And I think just picking up on that one verse that we've been sent, it is very, very easy to miss the depth of what that means and the requirements upon us all with what that means. And that's what I want to talk about. And and responding to the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we'll read it in a second. I think we've tended to limit it in a way that Jesus never, ever intended. I've asked a lot of people over the years and in my travel, what do you think this passage means? Let's just read it. Uh, it says, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Aren't we glad that that is true? Go therefore, here's our commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's a lifetime mission right there teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, unfortunately, we've tended to restrict this to our view of salvation, which is really about terms of quantity. We have to go out and get people and reach people for Christ. Now, of course, that is true. All of us in one way or another should be fishers of people. We should be seeking. We want everybody to know Jesus. I love what Paul said when he was um, pulled before the Roman authorities and one of them says, oh my goodness, Paul, you'll be converting me next. And Paul says, but for these chains, he was a prisoner, he was in chains in the time. He said, but for these chains, I would wish you and everybody else is like me. 
speaking of the fact that he knew Jesus. So obviously that's not in debate. But the bit that we've missed is that the Gospels call everybody, that's you and me, to an ongoing place of maturity, that we are in a place of transformation from one degree of glory to another. And as such, we are meant to be influencing everybody around us who already know Jesus in that way as well. So if we are going to be a church of influence, a church of influence goes after the message of the king and his kingdom. And in doing that, it brings this, it brings a vision to the world. This is part of the church's commission. It brings a vision to the world of who God is and why he created this earth and this life and why he put the church, and I'm going to prove this to you in a minute, why he put the church into the central basis of it and what he is about concerning the planet, not just concerning each individual person. So where does the process of salvation begin? It begins when anybody comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And that is the only way we can get into a proper relationship with God. There is no other way. So that's where it begins. But it doesn't stop there. As we continue the work that God's called us to do, we must take it out into the context of the creation or of this world. It's so important that we do that. And this is all part of the salvation process. We are just in a very interesting time in New Zealand at the moment because we're coming up to our election. Now, one of the things that I like that elections produce is it gives us a very, very good barometer on what people are thinking, what people are worried about, and what people want the politicians to address. Don't miss that, guys. That's out there right now. And what we see is that many people in an affluent Western world, which everybody in this room is part of, in an affluent Western world, people firstly say, what's in it for me? That's their focus. I don't condemn anybody who doesn't know Jesus for thinking that. I can understand that. But then those who go a little bit further, which this time of year, every three years reflects, it shows the concerns where most outside of this, and most of the people are worried about the ecology, they're worried about the environment, they're worried about diet and education and economic issues and the gap between the rich and the poor. That's what most people currently are worrying about. But bring this back here to us. And all those things are relevant, by the way, obviously. But bring that things to us. If we're going to embrace what it's meant, what it means to be sent by Jesus, we must find ourselves not only concerned with all of these issues and to be talking about and wrestling with them, we must find ourselves as God's people offering solutions to them. We can't just keep highlighting the problems. Everybody knows them, and we should know them as well. I was in a meeting years ago in the States, and we had a number of church leaders and a number of leaders with the communities. 
were there and some of the non-Christian leaders of the community were crying and weeping about the problems that were going on in the community in the city we were ministering in in the States. And a church leader leaned across to me and Dennis Peacock who I was with and said, I didn't know anything about these problems, did you? So we need to know about the problems. But guys, we are the people that have been empowered to bring the solutions. This is why it should be so refreshing to talk to us. Do you know about this problem? Yes, I do. And here's what we are doing about it. And here's what Jesus said about it. And here's what the scriptures say about it. And if we aligned ourselves with this, many of those problems wouldn't exist anymore. So let's go to Ephesians 3, 8 to 11. And let me say that apart from some of the circles I move in, I hardly ever, I'm one of these people that listens to heaps of messages and preaching and teaching and uh, I just get caught up in all of this. But I hardly ever hear this passage preached upon, which amazes me. So let's read it. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this is the Apostle Paul talking, this grace that was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages. So here's Paul saying, I'm going to tell you a mystery that nobody knew about God till now. They couldn't, of course, because we needed the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit to be able to produce this. So he says, I'm going to tell you what this is all about. The mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church. Now listen, guys. This, what God is going to do to whatever degree he does it in planet Earth before he returns comes through the church. Who does it come through, brothers and sisters? Us. Us, the church. It's not going to come through anybody else and in any situation. And the church is a gathered community, not just two or three people sitting in a cafe somewhere who love Jesus. It's about the church. He said it's going to be through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might win now, when was that? It started 2,000 years ago. It is now. It is, this is not an end times word. It's now. That the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal, to the eternal purpose that has, he has released in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we need to understand to be a church of influence, we must diligently know and embrace this passage because within it is our calling. And if we miss this, we've missed the key part of our calling. So what does that mean to you and me? What does that mean to us here this morning? It means we are truly, only truly representing Jesus if we are bringing restoration and increase and redemption and reconciliation to the fallen issues of life that you and I encounter every day. 
That's what we're called to do. That's what we're about. That is what which I'll get to in a minute because that's the, this is a key element. Brothers and sisters, that's what we have been empowered to do. We have the power. The power was invested in Christ's church to do this 2,000 years ago. He's not giving us any more power. We all have all the power we need and more. See, we have bought into the lie that Christianity is about being a nice, well-mannered, law-abiding citizen of our community. And that is not the case. That is not true. Many of our neighbours who don't know Jesus do this, and I'm sad to say... (laughs) Some of them do it better than some of us. Us being the operative word of believers. I don't mean people here in this this room. See, that's not what Christianity is. It is true that we're born from above, which is a heavenly realm. And it's true that the essence of this is based on, on love and service. And our true calling uh, embraces all of this. But this is not what Christianity is about. Listen to what Paul says here. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of Christ. That is not politically correct to do that, guys. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's a message for each of us and what's going on in our head. Don't entertain it. Deal with it when you know it's ungodly. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is is complete. You are, uh, verse 7, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. Here is the key, guys. Don't look at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider again within himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Paul says, instead of just looking at things outwardly, consider who you are inwardly when the Holy Spirit has ignited your spirit and go out and do something about these things. Sometimes we have to confront. Sometimes we have to interject and counter the conversation around us. Sometimes we have to protest and say enough is enough. We are not called to be politically correct, brothers and sisters. We're called to be biblically correct. Jesus wasn't the most popular man everywhere he went. See, it means that we have to open up our own lives to embrace the Holy Spirit's power and go and bring change into the world. Our calling, brothers and sisters, is to restore all things. Amazing scripture in Revelation 19. None of us can understand exactly what this looks like, but the amazing passage, it says, Jesus comes back when? When the bride has what? made herself ready. My gosh. Jesus comes back when the church has made herself ready. That puts a huge element on Jesus' return right upon what we are doing as his church. 
Now, I don't now know how his barometer works in order for the fact that we have finally made ourselves ready. I don't know what that means, but it means that we are compelled to embrace something with so much strength and so much power in this community and in this earth that it will finally pull Jesus off his throne and he will return to earth. There's no passivity in that, guys. It's action and it's work. And it's difficult. And it may not cause us to win friends and influence. Well, it'll cause us to influence people, but maybe not in the way that we would like it to. See, as God's sons and daughters, we have to be way more effective than just protesting about things that are going on or not happening in this planet. See, we can bring increase to all aspects of life, all aspects to what's going on. See, here's the point. Are we worried about running out of oil? Well, you could say no, because we've got electric cars coming, and we probably have. But listen, guys, seriously. We need oil. We need water. We need clean air. We need all of these things. So are we in danger of the planet running out of all these things and so that we are not going to be able to function? Absolutely not. Why? Because in 2 Peter 1.3 it says, God has given us all things pertaining to what? Life and godliness. Now, I am passionate about things of this planet. I have spent huge parts of my life in the wide open country spaces and the bush and the wilderness of New Zealand. I love this planet. I want to see it protected. I don't want it to see it wasted and obliterated. But I don't live in the fear that everything beautiful is going to be taken away because the scriptures says God is not going to allow that to happen. Forever, for eternity. If we ran out of oil and needed more, God would just create more. He can do it easily. Now, that doesn't mean we don't be responsible. It just puts it into the perspective that we don't have to be so submerged with these problems because we are the people with the solutions. Where where does wisdom come from? From God. Where does wisdom for us begin with? The fear of God. If you love Jesus, you have that. There's never any limitation in the kingdom. The cycle of growth and expansion and new life are, are elements of the king, foundational elements of the kingdom that never go away. Life is not about fighting over who gets the biggest piece of the pie. And if I get what you think is too big a piece, you think it's going to be a smaller piece. My sister and I were sitting at the table years ago as kids and mum cut up whatever it was, the pie or whatever, and I quickly spied it, sized up the pizzas and I grabbed the biggest piece. And my sister said to me, ah, you always do that, which of course was true. My sister said, ah, you always do that. And I said, well, if you had had first choice, which piece would you have taken? And she said, the smallest one. And I said, well, there, you've got it. (laughs) Now, my father laughed and my mother told me off. My sister just glared at me, but it's all right. She loves me. She's great. 
But see, we don't have to fight over who gets the biggest piece of the pie because brothers and sisters, the pie in the kingdom of God is infinite. There is no way of measuring it. It's so big and it's ever increasing. See, a good example of this is when people come to your home. You can give them the best of what you have because you know a loving God endorses that. He tells us to be generous. He tells us to be hospitable. So if you give them the best that you have, he will multiply it. That's a principle of the kingdom of God. You don't have to worry about, oh, wow, you know, we were saving or conserving this food or whatever it is you're doing. We can give our guests the best. In fact, holding it to ourselves, which is a form of stinginess or meanness, might mean that we've just missed out on an increase God wanted us to bring when we put forward the best of what we have as an offering to our guests. See, the point I'm making is that the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, everything can grow, even the things that die. What does Jesus say about them? Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring new life. So even the things that die in the kingdom of God bring forth new life. You can't stop the life flowing from the throne, through the church, out into the community. We can only stop it by our own fallenness and fears and insecurity, but the life keeps on flowing. It's eternal. I want to pick up a scripture here in Isaiah 43, 19 to 21. And it says this, and I believe this is right at the season that we're in right now for Lane Park Church. I really, really believe this. It says this, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? So let's not miss it, guys. I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people who I formed for myself will declare my praise. I believe we're in a new season and God's going to bring watering and growth. And notice about the jackals and the ostriches that he looks after even the planet and the animals, not only his people. So we have to embrace the call to restore things if we're to have a valid testimony in today's world. Now, hopefully this will work. I'm going to show you a video clip that gives an example of this. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that absolutely amazing? A barren wilderness with no life comes back to be a thriving jungle full of animals and plants and vegetation and health. Brothers and sisters, whether he knows it or not, this man is expressing the kingdom of God. That's how it works. And that's the element and the power. And I don't know whether he knows Jesus or not. 
but I want to say something that we have that power and more within us as Christ's church. And that is our mandate, to take places that are desert. It might be a desert in somebody's life. It might be a desert in the community. And to go out there and work in it and through the power of the Holy Spirit see new life and new vegetation and new health and animals and all of those things to see it become green and full of life again. That is our power. That's what we have. That's what we have been empowered to do here on this earth. And look at the satisfaction in it. He spent 37 years planting a tree every day. I bet you he doesn't regret one instant of it. He can look back on the work he has done and go, wow, look at the life that is thriving through what I have done. See, we need to go out and bring increase and healing and redemption to a fallen, broken system. And this is what being sent means. This is what Jesus meant when he says, I send you as the Father sent me. The Spirit of God makes what is sick and dying come to life again. He did it in your life. He's done it in mine. And he'll keep on doing it in other people's lives. And the neat thing is he can do it through us. If God truly brings his people, which is you and I, to life and makes us truly living beings, we cannot help but let the life flow through us and touch others. Now, look, please don't say, I can't do this. I'm only a very ordinary person. This is not about you. It's not about who you are. It's about who lives within you. It's about who God has put you with, who you're sitting alongside of, the community you're in. That's where the power flow goes. Paul said to the Corinthians, I look amongst you and there's not many great and there's not many famous and there's not many rich and there's not many this, but we are going to change this planet because it's not about who you are. It's not about who I am. It's about who Jesus is and the mandate he set forward 2,000 years ago that I am going to do this through my church. It's his mandate. It's his power. It's his influence. We just have to grab hold of it and say, Lord, I'm available. Use me in whatever way you want. I want to finish through it with looking at a passage from Paul. And here's what I want you to do as you listen to this. I hope and trust that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can see this as a recommissioning. It's not an original commissioning. It was done 2,000 years ago. We have it. But maybe this morning, you can see this as a recommissioning of who we are and who we're meant to be and who we've been called to be and who we're going to determine ourselves that we're going to be. So let's have a look at it. It's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, goes into 6. Just going to read through it. Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. He made him who he knew 
no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here's the first point. We are called to be righteous. We can't do it in our own power, but we can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's already defeated sin, so we can't say, I can't get out of my sin. The power to get out of our sin and our weaknesses and our failing has been made available to us. So we've got to be righteous. And our sphere of influence is robbed every time or to whatever degree we allow sin to be entertained in our life. That separates us from God and disempowers us. Why does God hate sin so much? Because it disempowers his people from doing the things we've been talking about this morning. That's why he hates sin, and that's why we should hate sin as well. Next verse. We're into chapter 6, verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We understand what that means. We have been set free and we must use our freedom for love and good works. I preached ages ago about if you've gained territory in Christ, don't surrender it again. If you have overcome issues in your life, don't give them back. Don't lose ground. Maintain your discipline so they can't come back in. It's important that we, we must not return to our old ways and we must not leave the world to wallow in its problems because when we hold the solutions to them. So it says, At an acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now, now, this is way back then, it's in the past now, it belongs to our eternal present. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of our salvation, giving no cause for offence for anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. So it's important that we hold ourselves to a standard of righteousness and a standard of behaviour and a standard of love and good works so that we don't discredit the name of Jesus which he has so freely given us to wear. It's important that we do that. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labours and sleeplessness and in hunger. And let me just stop there and let's get back to the reality of the gospel. We suffer. Full stop. We suffer. Christian or not, we suffer. Everybody on this planet suffers. Everybody on this planet goes through difficulties and hardships. The power we have that makes a difference is that our God makes our sufferings redemptive. Our God makes our sufferings work together for the ultimate cause of this planet. Our God makes our sufferings build us character and endurance and make us more Christ-like. This is what the world does not have. And the message we can take out into the world, because the issue of suffering is huge, is that we have a redemptive aspect of suffering to talk about that anybody can join in with. It's important that we know that. It is so wrong to say that Jesus will grant 
all our desires and Jesus will materialize all our hopes and Jesus will bring nothing but life and joy and bliss to us. That is a lie and on almost every page of the New Testament, it tells us that if we're going to sign up for this thing, it's going to come at a great cost to us personally as well as to us as a community. And it's time we got that out there and understood it, but talked about it in a redemptive way, not a way that brings fear and condemnation. Where were we? We're somewhere around verse 6, I think. Impurity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love. So here's the format how we should respond when we've been put out of our comfort zone with or by others. In the word of truth and the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. So we have to learn to use how the tools as God's given us. I keep calling you back. We, we ministered a few years ago in Ephesians 6. A wealth of tools in there to learn how to use and go forward and have the armor of God and the power of God flowing through our lives. <clears throat> By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet truth. Why are we regarded regarded as deceivers? Because we don't go with the flow of the world. And we don't speak in the language the world speaks. And we are people of reality. But we are the people not only of the problems, but the people of the solutions. See, we're meant to maintain the same disposition in us Love and service, even when we've been wronged and unjustly accused of things. So I know all these things are very challenging, but they all reflect the nature and the character of Christ, which as his church, we are called to demonstrate. I'm, I'm finished. I just want to make one more statement, but let me pick up a scripture which is in Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 says, do not withhold good, 327 I think it is, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. You know what? We have so individualized that verse, but I want to put it in the context. If we don't go out into this world and if we don't take the power of God to change the things most people are only complaining about, we are withholding good from the world. We are withholding solutions from those who are obsessed with problems. We are withholding healing from those who are sick. We are withholding reconciliation from those who have had breakdowns in marriage and in family and all of those things. We are withholding the things and the power that God has given to us to be the solution to the problems on this earth. And who's he going to do that through? Only his church, no one else. I'm finished. I just want to say this. As we embrace this new season, I believe this church, Lane Park Church, has entered into a new season. And I think it's going to bring many changes and many challenges and many wonderful things. But I'm incredibly excited about it. I'm 65 years old. I wanted to see this happen before I leave the planet. Hopefully I've got a few more years left yet because many of you in here are older than me. So that gives me hope. But see, we're in a new season. 
And we need to understand that there is nothing new, although this is a new season for us, there is nothing new in a church with power influencing society. They did it 2,000 years ago. They have done it over and over and over again in the 2,000-year history. And I'm excited to be part of this community to see it being done over and again here. I really am. So come and join us. Come and be part of it. And if you find things that take you out of your comfort zone, which I have already doing this, welcome. Put them on the cross. Take the hit. Go forward. Listen to the sound and the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit. Be empowered. And let's get out of here and make a difference and bring Christianity back to what Jesus always intended it to be. Amen. Thank you, Father. We thank you. We sang this morning about your power and your name and who you are. And yet, Lord, you have said most of the way you're going to express that is through us, your church. Father, sign me up. Father, sign us up. Sign Lane Park Church, Lane Park Community. Sign us up, Father. We want to go forth and make a difference to this planet in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you, Jesse.